Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's your host, Brandon Laws. Thanks for the download today. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Zenium is supporting small and medium-sized organizations for their people practices, including HR, payroll processing, benefits administration, and a whole lot more. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Okay, today's episode is with Deb Westfall. She is an author, consultant, and a futurist. And according to her, there's a bright future ahead. Businesses should be embracing the changes that are coming with technology and will continue to bring for the future. I think you'll find this to be an eye-opening episode. I sit down with her uh, virtually, of course, and I just learn about the, the role technology is playing in human connection and It'll be interesting what the future brings. So enjoy this episode with Deb Westfall. I think you'll really enjoy it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, any of those places. I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. And we got a whole lot more coming for you. Talk to you soon. Deborah, it is a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Brendan. I'm so excited to be here. This is exciting. You wrote a book called Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. So we're going to talk about the book and just unpack all the ideas in this. But you know, when it comes to those three things, technology, business, and the human-centric future, when you use the word convergence and you mean those three things coming together, what did you have in mind when you were thinking about those three items, is it a positive thing? Is it an uncertain future? Like, what was your idea behind this? So, I actually think it's a very positive thing, and um, and maybe that's just the optimist in me and and uh, the hopefulness in me. But but I actually think it's very positive. I think there is some amazing kind of forces, and I write this in the book, there's some real um, positive forces that are happening that if you look a little bit under the surface, that is is going to create hopefully a better future for everyone. And, you know, just a little short analogy is, is that I use in the book about how these things are converging is I use the Galapagos Islands to kind of demonstrate, if you would, these these forces. Galapagos Islands are west of Ecuador, an amazing place of just different kind of animals and plants and ecosystems that don't exist anywhere else in the world. But what makes them special in this area and, and kind of keeps this area unique is these five ocean currents that are coming together to create this wonderful hmm. environment that is growing and thriving. And I think those currents represent technology, humanity, and the future of business coming together to create a real positive yeah. business environment as well as environment for humanity. 
I love that analogy because when you think about like the Galapagos Islands, without those five currents coming into play, you would not have the Galapagos Islands the way it looks like today. So your point about like having technology, business, and the human-centric piece of it, like you, without those three things together, it's probably not going to shape the, the amazing future that you're sort of envisioning. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, and and what's really interesting is there's there's hundreds of islands there, and and there's volcanoes that are creating more islands every day. It's kind of like our businesses. We have big businesses and small businesses and, and uh, you know, they're growing and, and trying to grow and they're trying to thrive. And that's why I use that analogy because these major forces, as I said, the humanity, technology, and the true purpose of business is really that undercurrent, these forces that need to be balanced for that healthy environment. And I'm very optimistic that we are seeing some some shifts. It's going to take time for sure, yeah. but I'm optimistic. I love the optimism uh, because what I want to pull the thread on is the human-centric aspect of this. Because I think if we're thinking all these organizations nowadays are more human-centric, and I don't think that you're necessarily saying that. I think you're just saying like, having a human-centric organization is will make for a better future. But I think most people would say we're becoming less and less human. I mean, you think of the technology, we're less face-to-face, and COVID has brought a lot of that overnight, basically. Pull the thread on the human-centric. How do we have a more human-centric future based on just the increase of technology? Well, I think the pandemic, it showed a, a couple things, but I don't think we can land right on this was the the pandemic and this will forever shape the future. I think we have to look beyond that. And, you know, I talk about humanity really starting to have a voice. And what do I mean by that? Is technology has allowed us to connect to, you know, almost the other seven, eight billion people on the planet. And we're finding people that are like us, shared ideas. We're able to voice our concerns. We're able to pull together groups of people to to advocate or to become activists, you know, on whatever it is that we want to kind of change or at least take notice. And so technology is allowing people to connect in ways and, and communicate in ways that we never had before. And what that's done is it's kind of shifted some power um, from very closed systems, closed organizations to the larger populace of the world. And I find that very exciting. But I also think positive discourse is really growth. And so we need to allow that to happen. The other thing that's happening, which I'm very encouraged, is we are starting to question the sole purpose of a business. You know, over the decades, uh, especially through the industrial era, there was a kind of effort to put business at the middle of our focus. And so we improved efficiency. We tried to be more effective with uh, the delivery of, of whatever product or service. And people inside our organization, as well as outside the organization's got somewhat sub-optimized. And and now we're having this larger conversation, you know, the business roundtable or organizations like Conscious Capitalism or, you know, even B Corp and, and these discussions around what is the purpose of business. And we're 
going actually back to business's purpose is to serve a broader spectrum of, of stakeholders, that being their employees, their suppliers, the communities they operate in, their customers. And I open it up to the larger humanity because some of these problems that we are facing bridge way beyond any one company or any one industry. Climate is, is one of those examples. You know, what's interesting is I think if somebody was just briefly listening to you and catching a a headline, they would probably think you're like anti-business, anti-capitalism or something like that. But if you really dig deep into what capitalism is supposed to bring, it's like highest and best use of things. And it should make things better. And I think that's what you're really saying is like, what is the purpose of business? Is it improving communities? Is it improving people in societies? Right? Am I getting that right? Absolutely. And and I've been asked that direct question, you know, are you anti-capitalism? Absolutely not. Capitalism brings a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm a, you know, I'm a capitalist and, and I'm very pro-business, but I, I think if you, if you scratch the surface of some of the things that are, are really being questioned, there's a cynicism here. There's a, I don't trust business. I don't trust government uh, that's happening. And so why is that? And if we're truly addressing the larger stakeholders, then we're having conversations with them to understand what the trust problem is, or why don't you believe what I'm saying? Why is it that, uh, you know, there's some some real criticism around the brands, like you are doing things, but I don't believe you really are doing these things to, to make impact. So this is about making business better, not about attacking capitalism. But at the same time, like when you improve business the right way. You improve all the other systems along with it. Absolutely. Because then you gain so much from from doing that. You gain right. trust and, and people will admire those brands and will want to work in those companies. And, and when you walk the walk and you walk the talk, I guess, um, better said, is there's a real relationship there rather than just kind of forcing what it is that you want to communicate. Yeah. Speaking of the relationship, when it comes to the humanity or the human system, what kind of relationship does it have with these these other systems, the technology, the business side? What is that connection? Why does it matter in the grand scheme of things what, what the relationship is? You know, that's a it's a great question. And I think with this case, we could actually turn to what happened in the last year, year and a half with the pandemic to see when you stop and you tell humans that you, you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to movies, there is no sports, um, what that does to business, industries. And so I think it, it showed in a really kind of weird way why that human system is really important and how it interfaces with all our systems. I have an engineering background, so that system thinking that. is really important here because we have you know, there's economic systems, there's the business systems, there's the geopolitical system, but they're overlaying, there is a a people system and it has to be considered. They're not just customers that can be manipulated or communicated just to, um, you know, they're not just employees, you know, there is a real network of, of people that create humanity 
we need to consider as we go forward. This was not in your book, but I was scouring your LinkedIn page and this uh, line jumped out at me from, I think it was your like about section or something. So the quote from your about section is, because humans are unpredictable, the future is unpredictable, yet predicting the future isn't enough. We must understand what's driving and shaping it as well as the implications to identify actionable paths towards a better future, end quote. But, and this is the, f- the interesting thing about like this book too, is like the human side of things, they're unpredictable, they're emotional. Um, but when you consider like technology business is a little bit more stable and predictable, but when you factor in all those things together, you can't just take out the human side of it because we're sometimes irrational and emotional and unpredictable. As you said, unpack this for me. Like, why did you write that in your bio and how does it, you know, how does it play a role in all this? You know, it's probably the uh, the influence of working with Alvin and Heidi Toffler for all the years and, and uh, them giving us a, a framework to think about this transition from an industrial model to a knowledge-based model. And of course, businesses want to, you know, kind of control inputs, outputs. Um, it's about efficiencies. It's about, you know, using all the resources that you have for gain, right? And, you know, we've gotten to the point where it's, it really is around profit. You know, what is different now than what was different even a couple decades ago is we're in the information age and individuals, 8 billion people on the planet, not quite yet that because not everybody's got uh, access to the internet, but they can, they can learn, they can they can have the information, they can connect up, they can innovate. And so that closed system of what we used to desire around our organizations got blown apart, you know, and, and is going to continue as we move further and further into the knowledge age. So everybody's a futurist. Um, everybody thinks about the future, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now or, you know, 50 years from now. And with all access that, that people have to information and technology and other people that build things, you know, you, you can't contain that. There's no way to contain that. And so we're going to have to change how we think about business to work in that environment. Yeah, that's so interesting you bring it up. I'm such a future guy. Like, I think about the future so much, it's like kind of sickening. I'm often not in the present moment, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, but I love technology. I love thinking about what could be. And you brought up that point just about like, a lot of people have access to the internet nowadays, more so than ever. And I was having this conversation with a colleague today. It's like, there's so many people, even, even at the, the level of poverty who have an iPhone with access to like pretty much all the information to, in, in the world to like possibly better themselves. And through these, through capitalism, through business and technology improvements, we're all becoming richer as a result of it, um, even with just information. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And that's why I'm optimistic about the future too. I mean, do you think about it that way or is there something else that makes you more optimistic? No, I do. I do think about it that way. And and, uh, I was reflecting on a conversation I had yesterday, a colleague that I worked with, hmm, my goodness, probably 10 years ago, reached out, wanted to chat. They're going through a kind of one of those change of life. What do I do about my job? What do I do about my future? You know, kind of conversations. You know, she brought up after at the really, at the end of the conversation, it was, hey, I got one more question. 
And I absolutely, I got time. I've been thinking about this new app. And because of COVID, there was some things that she was doing to keep herself healthy and, and all that. And she said, you know, I really think I did my research and there's nothing else out there, but I don't even know how to get started. Like I wouldn't know a programmer. She's not a programmer. And I said, well, but who do you know that's, that could be? Who do you know that, you know, know something about programming? And she laughed and she goes, oh, and she referenced a <laughs> colleague that we had been working with that had left the company. And she goes, I'm going to call her. Absolutely. And those are the behavior changes that I think will continue. I think we're going to see more and more and more of that when people say, well, I don't know how to do that. But yet you have all the ability to find somebody to go do that. Go partner with that person. And if that person doesn't know, then they have a network. Have them introduce them, right? So I think that's the network effect that will create even more innovation and more solutions. And that's kind of the root of this power of humanity. Hey, it's Brandon here with a quick sponsor break. Are you making any of these common HR mistakes? Fragmented company culture, inconsistent communication, do-it-yourself diversity and inclusion initiatives, HR and business operations existing in silos? Like, Do any of these sound familiar? Well, if so, you're not alone. These are HR challenges we see all the time. And our free ebook, at Zenium is here to help you get past these mistakes. Our latest book breaks down seven common HR mistakes and outlines the steps you can take to step up your people strategies. Download it today and see how a strong HR strategy can help your people and your company thrive. Download it now at zeniumhr.com forward slash HR hyphen mistakes. That's zeniumhr.com forward slash HR hyphen mistakes. Now back to the show. When it comes to like the, like an individual organization and using these ideas convergence, like of the technology business and the humanity component of it, what, you know, what does success look like for an organization who's really thinking about these three components and uh, being successful in the future? You know, at a, at a very macro, it's you're profitable, and you're responsible, mm, yeah. right? Um, you're responsible to those stakeholders. I think in a very simple kind of term is, are you incorporating that responsibility side as a primary decision, right? Think about inside how companies have their, their dashboard, right? And they're, they're checking their dashboard. They report on it once a week, once a month, once a quarter, whatever that is. What is on that dashboard? It's usually, you know, it's, it's revenue, sales, cost, maybe backlog. It's all financial. Most of them don't report on impact. Right. How do you do that, though? That seems, <laughs> it seems hard to report on that. Yeah, yeah. How do you do that? Like, how would you do that for the employees, right? Are you bringing the conversation about inclusion and diversity up to that same level of, of profit and, you know, sales? Because it has to be at that level. It can't be a sub because when you make decisions, you're sub-optimizing. 
if your decision is always on profit, you know, that can be kind of harsh for me to say that because people, yes, I'm concerned. Yes, we're trying to work this. Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, how do you make that final decision? And do you defer to maximizing the profit and the, the, uh, the financial? Or do you go, you go ahead and say, you know what? We may not optimize around the financial, but we have done better for our employees or we've done better for the environment. You know, another example is when you're doing, uh, you're getting ready to launch a new product. Is it all around, uh, you know, cost and, and how much you're going to get from that product? Are you also thinking about that product, about what it took to make it? Like the input, the materials, did you get clean materials? You know, where did you get those materials? And then also are you thinking about how does that product get disposed of in an environmentally safe way, right? Again, opening up that aperture allows you to start to become more responsible. Well, I I think of like, no knock on Tesla because I think it's a cool technology and and I would love a Tesla someday. But, you know, we just look at like how cool innovation it is. But I hear, you know, a lot goes into making those batteries and then also disposing of the batteries too. It's like, what kind of impact is that making? I don't know if we're reporting on that at all, you know. You know, we're not. And um, I was just reading, not to slam any kind of brands, because we're, again, we're, we're right in the middle of, of this transition. Mm-hmm. But Coca-Cola bottles, like there's 200,000 Coca-Cola bottles, single-use plastic bottles, get disposed of an hour around the world. Get out of here. Right? And you what? think about that. And that's like... All the time, every day, every day, every day. And, and where do they go? They go into the landfill. A few of them go into recycling because you're recycling, what do they say, less than 10% of any plastic is recycled because one, is it recyclable? And two, you know, do we have enough capacity on the recycling side? And if you're in other countries, like I've been to Egypt and Morocco and you know, Africa, those, <laughs> those plastic bottles get thrown t- on the side of the road and, oh. you know, great big piles. And so, you know, the question is, then what is the role of, of Coca-Cola? And it's not just saying you're going to recycle because that's just pushing the problem off somewhere else. You know, that's the question. Like, can you use your research and development dollars along with others that still, you know, have the same problem to create something that isn't plastic, that still gives people the convenience to carry a bottle of Coke around. Yeah. I don't know if this actually exists, this technology. I swear I saw a video of it. Like it was almost like a glass of water, but it was in some sort of dissolvable, like little bag that you could just like Put, put into your mouth and, and like, it's like almost like one sip of water into one thing. And, it, and so there's no plastic like yeah. being disposed of. I don't know if that really exists. I've or seen that. Just, so it does exist, but I'm like, it's, okay, now it, it, companies like as big as Coca-Cola need to be probably thinking of that kind of innovation. But that's the, the message I tried to get across in the book is that's very disruptive because that's not how they've set up their business. That's not how they've set up their manufacturing. That's not how they've set up their distribution. You know, they've been around for 100 years. They have, they have optimized about around this 
distribution and selling of, of Coca-Cola. You know, there's amazing innovations. I don't know if you listened to How I Built This with Guy Raz. Mm-hmm. I was listening to uh, one of the companies he was talking to and edible spoons. <laughs> That's cool. So as an engineer, he figured, yeah, he figured out, engineer figured out how to manufacture these spoons. And, and he has a couple flavors that are on the savory side, a couple flavors that are on the sweet side. And his focus was to get rid of the plastic spoons and make them edible. That way you don't have to, you know, it's the same kind of example of your, the little bubble of, of yeah. water. It's all edible. There's no garbage. Yeah. That's so fascinating. So Deb, you and I are futurists, obviously, but for those that aren't, whether it's a, you know people inside of an organization like leaders or you know these these public or private sectors, these big big organizations that may not be as future focused and just sort of like doing the Coca Cola thing, just you know they're optimized for the bottles and whatever you know whatever they typically have done for a hundred years. How do you become more future focused? How do you make a pivot like this to be thinking of social responsibility and all these other? components? You know, I think that future thinking resides in all of us. It is how much risk we want to take to shake up the status quo and to shake up what it is that we're doing today. And I think that is is kind of the crux is, you know, we've optimized and we've built and, and we continue to run. And, you know, we think about our business schools and how they teach how to run a good business. And, these are the levers and this is what you need to do. What's changing now is there's different demands and that's really scary. It's to really look inside yourself and then look inside your organization and say, I got to disrupt this. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know what I'm going to break in the process of doing that, but I got to take that chance. I've got to have that courage to to see, you know, where this goes. And and there's a lot of smart people and a lot of courageous people that if they banded together and talked it out inside these organizations, they would figure out kind of step by step by step how to to transform. It's not going to be something easy. Right. It's not going to be something quick. And you can start with little steps, little baby steps, and and kind of test the waters of that risk. That's the message is you got to get started in some of this, though. Yeah. Has the last year or so in in COVID-19 started getting people to think about this a little bit more? Has it sped up some of this future-based thinking? What's your thoughts there? I do believe that. Um, I do believe that, you know, when everything shuts down and it's very scary and and you don't know, um, that just changes the risk equation right there. Because then you have to act. You have to try things that maybe maybe aren't going to work. Because you're going into, you know, you're going into survival mode and it really is an opportunity for leaders to kind of rethink what they've been doing and why they've been doing it and how they've been doing it. And I do think that there are a lot of instances that we can point to that people are, you know, starting to to question and starting to try. There's very few benchmarks out there. I mean, there's there's really not a whole human-centric organizations. There's pieces and parts that reside in a lot of organizations, but that's where the conversations have to take place. Is 
what are you doing about this? What are you learning? And and how might that fit with what I'm doing? You know, look, it took us, what, how many, almost 100 years to really kind of modernize business. So we're not going to do it overnight. Um, we're not going to make this this pivot to more human-centric or, or stakeholder-centric overnight. And that would be silly to, to think. But we do need to be aggressive in that pursuit. Yeah. For if people listening, because there's a lot of leaders listening to this podcast of individual leaders are thinking like, yes, this is like, I've been thinking about this. I, I know like myself or my organization needs to make a, you know, a shift into thinking more like this. You know, how, how could they level up their skills so they can adopt this convergence idea and set their organization and people and community up for success long term and do good? You know, that said, I, I would say that that starts to with looking within, um, looking within themselves. It's, it really kind of cultivating that deep understanding of, of who we are as individuals and what do we believe and, you know, how do we make decisions and why do we make those decisions? Where are our biases, right, and our belief systems about how things work or how things should work? And, you know, I think that work is foundational for a leader is, um, and, and we honestly don't teach that. We don't really cultivate that through any of the coaching and the, the mentoring. We teach process. We teach measures. We teach performance. We don't teach this kind of self-reflection of, of who we are and, and really where our blind spots are. So that's, that's foundational, you know, and that's going to take being authentic and being vulnerable. And in a lot of cases say, you know what, I don't know how to do this, but I know we must figure out a way. And again, that's not what was expected of our leaders before. Many years ago, this is probably you know, 20, 25 years ago, I, uh, <laughs> I don't even remember what the situation was, but I messed up as a leader. And I went to my mentor and said, you know, I, I really feel like I need to say I'm sorry. And I didn't know. And now that I know, I wouldn't have made that decision. And uh, the response was, oh, no, you never say you're sorry. Like that shows weakness, right? Really? <laughs> yeah. But you know, maybe that's my generation. I don't know. But uh, I think that's that's going to be really important. And, and I do think reaching out and having this dialogue of what is the purpose of business and how do we serve and how do we be responsible and learn from each other, ask and learn. I think together we're going to level ourselves up. I agree. You know, it's interesting. I'm like, I'm reflecting on our conversation. It's just been such a good conversation and discussion. And I'm thinking like, you know, traditional business and even like capitalistic mindset and a lot of people in the, in the area, they're like just so profit motivated. But to me, it's a profit is a, a tool. It's an incentive. It's a, it's a reflection that there's a market there and it allows you to reach your purpose and to reach your goals and reinvest and to, to do good. And that's my biggest takeaway from all this is that organizations can have a purpose to, to have a greater good, a greater impact, both societally and organizationally at the micro level. And the profit is just a tool. It's just a way to get there. 
I don't know if you think about it that way or, uh, I mean, that's just kind of my takeaway from it. Yeah, we've got to measure somehow, right? And there's there's macro and there's micro measures, and and uh, and profit is important. It's important for sustainable business. It's um, as you said, it's important to to reinvest. You know, it's interesting to see kind of the the life cycle of a business. Very few entrepreneurs start with the idea of I'm going to make a lot of money. You know, <laughs> they start with this idea of I'm going to change the world. Yes, exactly. Right. And so, you know, I think that that is actually embedded in most companies. I think it gets maybe pushed down or forgotten as they grow, as they struggle, as they try to, you know, focus on how do we grow and where are we going to grow? And, you know, it becomes a kind of a a flywheel here. Yes, exactly. Well, you, to your point, like that, the profit is the measurement tool. So like if, if you're just, you end up looking at that as like, oh, we're not as profitable as we were last year. And it becomes this vicious cycle, I think, of just trying to achieve or um, exceed last year's growth and profit levels. It's just, I, I get why people fall into that trap. Actually, it really, it hurts me when I hear people say that, you know, all businesses are evil or... No way. It, uh, there's no way. That's That's not... Right. I do think that there is an immense amount of resource from intellectual and research and development and know-how and and just ingenuity inside of businesses that could attack some of these problems. And the question is, how do we unleash that a little bit to balance making profit and work in some of these other problems? Yeah, and then that brings up the whole humanity side of it, which is like, <laughs> let people be themselves at work and give them the space to think and grow and develop. And and I think some of that stuff will come out. I do too. And I think that that's a great example of where we lead with process. You know, people are more than just their job description. People are more than what was on their resume. I read a really interesting article several years ago about Warby Parker and, and maybe, you know, I don't know if they're the same, but the very beginning early stages they had some kind of IT problem or some sort of manufacturing problem. And it was actually one of the assistants, one of the secretaries that said, you know what, I know something about this. <laughs> and they said, well, great, go fix it, right? <laughs> but just because your title, secretary or HR or IT, doesn't mean that you might not have the answer for something that you're not coded for in an organization. And to me, that's what inclusion means. It's use that, all of their energy, you know, all of their experiences and know-how. Encourage people to speak out and say, here's the problem, you know, how can we fix it? That allows you to get more, quote-unquote, from your workforce, which is what almost every leader is asking for right now. Absolutely. Well, Deb, I kept you a lot longer than I had intended to. This is such a fun conversation. I could literally geek out and talk about future state (laughs) all day with you. Uh, Your book is Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. Deb, thanks so much for coming on. What do you you want to tell people on parting? Is there anything that you want to point them to? Like Anything would be great to, to close out the conversation. 
you know, I, I just hope people walk away and, and say, you know, I hope they're encouraged to to kind of add their energy to this dialogue and to figure some of these things out. You know, and I'd like to hear from them. They can go to my website. They can reach out to me. It's a dialogue. It really is a dialogue. And I think that's what we as um, as leaders and as members of society need to engage and, and learn and, and solve. Anywhere that people could connect with you or get your book or anything like that? Yeah, my website is Deborah Westfall, uh, just DebraWestfall.com. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Deborah Westfall, on LinkedIn. I would love to have people reach out and continue the, the discussion. Deborah Westfall, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>